You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So we have in this series, Gripping, Grasping, and Giving, and it's a series on money, power, and possessions. And it's uh, been a series where we've had people come up and share some things. We're not doing that this week. Um, but that will continue to happen in different ways. We're going to have people, more people in this church share some of their experiences and expertise in this conversation. We're going to have people from our community. Um, matter of fact, the chief of the Kiskiak tribe, which is the land upon which this church building stands, is going to come and speak to us uh, in the next few weeks about the Kiskiak tribe and the reclamation of their lives in a society where all that they had uh, was taken, and we're going to talk about that within the possessions and power part of this particular, well, that was a lot of peace, conversation. Man, that was a lot. Like, I even, like, almost felt like I was spitting when I was saying all that. Like, um, so, that's what, so just know that the conversation carries on. But what I wanted to do in the interlude of it all, this kind of, or create an interlude and talk about prayer, because I wanted to remind us that all of this conversation about money and power and possessions and gripping and grasping and giving it's going to mean nothing if we're trying to do it all in our own strength. That's actually how we end up gripping and grasping, is when we start leaning into our own resources. So when I think that I can somehow do it on my own, um, or work hard enough, because that's how I was raised, um, or be smart enough, because that's what I'm told, that somehow that I'm going to be able to live into the fullness of the kingdom of God, into the fullness of God's provision, into the fullness of generosity, into the fullness of peace, if I can just do it hard enough, like if I can work hard enough. That's actually not what Scripture is leading us to, and that's not how this works. That actually leads to the gripping, grasping, and giving. So then it matters that we remember how prayer works and that we revisit prayer with intentionality. Aren't there those, are there ever anything in your life where you know but... You just know it so well that you go on and then somebody says something that you know and you go, oh man, I haven't been doing it the way I know to do it. Yeah, right? Raise your hand. The rest of you are lying. Okay, so um, no, but that, that, that's, how, that's, how this can, that's how prayer sometimes works. So one of the things that we've done the last two weeks is last week we started talking about the Lord's Prayer a little bit more. Um, the week before we just talked about prayer as presence, prayer as practicing the presence of God. What do you remember from those conversations about prayer as practicing the presence of God? What's something you remember? This is going to be a talk back to me part. Or like, let's talk together part. <laughs> or just participate somehow. What do, you, what do you remember about that? Yes. So it's like being still and giving God time, sharing your time with God. Yeah, I like how you corrected that, Jen. Yeah, yeah, it's like being still and sharing your time with God, like turning my attention to God. Because do you ever have to fight for God's attention? No, it feels like it. It feels like it, right? But you don't. There's a bloodstained cross and empty tomb that promises you don't have to do that. You just have to learn to give your attention to God. And that takes time. Just like when you're with people you care about, you have to give them their, your, your attention. You have to give them your attention. Or you can just sit in a room with them. It's a different relationship impact, isn't it? When you give one another your attention versus when you know, you're just in a room. I don't know. Let's just say like, let's say, say like, like somebody, like a, like a pastor, asks for participation in a, in a, in a message. Um, like when, when, there's no, when there's no response, it, it makes me, you know, it may, let's say it would probably make that. You see what no. Okay, so what else? What else do you remember from this conversation? Jesus? Like anybody? Just want to give like the, like the, like the standard answer? One of, the, one of the things that we have said 
is Christ is as close to us, what? As the breath in our lungs. We're going to say it again. Christ is as close to us as the breath in our lungs. Is there ever any place you can be where Christ isn't? You have to, like, if you never get anything in your soul about our faith, get that. There is no place you are where Christ isn't. So there's nothing that you think that Christ doesn't know, so there is no reason to hide from the Christ who is with you. You cannot chase God off. We have this mindset that somehow if I just keep it secret and I don't say it, it won't become true. God already knows what's going on down in there. You can say it. God is the most secure place to say it. If it's lament, if it's a string of cuss words, it doesn't matter. God isn't going to go, ooh, never heard that before. Right. <laughs> ooh, did you hear that Holy Spirit? That was new. That's not something, you're not going to shock God off the throne. If you think you are, read Jeremiah in your scripture who calls God a liar, who looks at God and says, you lied to me about all this. You're not chasing God away from you. Blood-stained cross, empty tomb. He is unchaseable away. That's not a term, but that's what we're calling it today. It's with hyphens in the middle. You can't chase God away. Christ is as close to you, what? There's no place. So when you then turn around and say, hey, God, God hears that. When you say, Lord, help me, you know what that is? That's a prayer. When you say, God, be with me, you know what that is? Come on, this is going to get real easy. A prayer. When you say, God, keep me from smacking them, you know what that is? It's a very David prayer, by the way. Let's just be clear. It's a very David prayer. And that's real, right? Is it real? God, give me strength. God, thank you for that flower. God, be with that person who's in that accident. That's prayer. You're not going to call out to God and God say, I'm sorry, what would you say? Christ is as close to you. Because the word, the Greek word and the Hebrew word for spirit, the Hebrew word ruach and the Greek word pneuma means literally what? Breath or wind, the holy breath of God. And who is it that lives in you? The Holy Spirit, who is the holy breath of God. So, God, so when I say to you that Christ is as close to you as the breath in your lungs, it is spiritually literal. But that's also what animates our lives. And so we spent two weeks talking about that, and we talked about the Lord's Prayer, and we remembered, I'm not even going to ask you what you remember about that. So we, 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 I said that during the Lord's Prayer that, 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 that Jesus never taught his disciples how to evangelize. Jesus never taught his disciples how to teach. When you look at Scripture, Jesus did that with them, but Jesus actually sat them down and taught them how to pray. And so we learned this model prayer. And um, if you don't mind, uh, Hung, would you go back to that big idea screen where the prayer is? Uh, we learned this model prayer. And we, and we talked about how the early church had real thoughts about this prayer. Well, that was exciting. Um, we talked about how the early church had this, had this belief that this prayer was the kind of prayer that should be prayed uh, as a part of the way of life of the church. Now, what do we learn about the church? Everybody stay with me on this, because if I ask you this next week, I really would like for you to at least say this. Um, so just make, make a note or something or like help each other. But what do we learn about the church's gathering habits? When we read early church history, which we did last week, we looked at Cyprian and we looked at Tertullian. These are two North African church leaders in the early church. 
writing letters to the churches in the region, what do we learn about Christianity in the couple of hundred years, the first couple hundred years of the church last week? That they gathered daily, but not just once daily. How many times daily? Twice daily. They gathered at least twice daily. They gathered in the morning at a specific time to sing and pray. And what was one of the prayers that we understood them to pray? Lord's Prayer. And then they prayed three times a day in some cases. They played three times a day. I mean, who knows what they prayed? Most likely they prayed the Shema, you know, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That prayer, um, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Um, that prayer. Or they prayed, you know, they prayed this prayer. They prayed patterned habit prayers. And part of what the writers of the early church wanted them to understand is you need these pattern habit prayers so that you can understand there's no place you can't be where you can't pray. Like, Father which art in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, leads me to a walking down the street and say, God, that's a beautiful flower. That the habit of prayer leads to the practice of presence of prayer. Does that make sense? If we don't learn the habit of prayer and we just settle into the practice of presence of prayer, then all of our prayers become reactionary. You see what I'm saying? They almost become circumstantial. We then only turn our attention to God when we need God. Now, does God need to be needed? Does God want to be needed? Does God want to provide yes and yes and yes? But there is just this idea that we are formed by the prayers we pray. It's not so much that prayer changes things. I will admit to you that that phrase always bothers me, that prayer changes things. No, God changes things. Prayer actually changes us. Like, that's actually how prayer is taught in Scripture. Prayer doesn't change a thing. The Lord changes things, and the prayers we pray most often change us. It's my thought. You can disagree. That's where I land. And the thing about this prayer is the early church believed there was nothing this prayer didn't cover. So the reason why this was called the model prayer was twofold. One, the early church literally took Jesus literally and said, when Jesus said, hey, pray like this, they thought, well, okay, then we'll pray like this. And remember, we, we read this beautiful quote from Cyprian. It's in the church center app. It's down at the bottom, but it's in the church center app. Uh, and where, where Cyprian says, the God who taught us how to live taught us how to pray, so we should pray the prayer he taught. Right? So that was a thing. But it's also called the model prayer because it's understood that really prayer should be formed by this. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to walk through the first three parts this morning um, for sake of time and just for sake of digestion. Now, what I'm about to hand you is uh, a book that I created for us called The Lord's Prayer and Essential Prayer. Now, there's two caveats to this. I sent it to Garrett. And I said, hey, it's, all, it's a sea of words. It was a sea of words. And I said, hey, can you print this for me? Because I can't print it off my printer. Well, Garrett took it and like 10-upped me on the design um, and actually made it into something nice because that's how Garrett works. Uh, I didn't ask Garrett to proofread it, which he would do. So there are typos because that is how I work. Um, so notice, <laughs> notice <laughs> that's how this works. Um, Melinda, would you mind? Um, Cricket, would you mind? And each one of you take one, not a family. Each one take one, please. And we're going to work through the first part of this this morning together. And I wanted you to have this because I want it to be something you can practice. Because the, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that can be practiced. Because one of the things we talked about, remember when we listened, y'all may not remember, but remember when we listened to Sly and the Family Stone last week? Best church service ever. Um, 
And we listened to Sly and the Family Stone because I wanted, to, I wanted you to see that we can all, what do we learn about that song? We can all know the song, but not know what? Anything else about the song. Like we don't know who write it. That's how the Lord's Prayer becomes sometimes. The Lord's Prayer becomes so familiar that we just lose the meaning and the purpose and the power of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so what I wanted to do is give you that uh, this morning. So remember, we talked about how prayer is tending to the ongoing and active presence of God in all things. And there's something that I want us to hold on to as we move through the first three phrases of this prayer. Prayer is sharing in God's presence where we learn God's purposes and how to live into God's purposes, right? Like that's, that's what prayer does. When we turn our attention to the God who knows us best and loves us most, when we pray, we're interacting with the reign of God. So when you say, hey, I want to I participate in God's reign, I want to know what it's like for God to be Lord of my life, then live a life of prayer. Because what did Paul say? Pray without what? Ceasing. So that's where we got our teaching from when we said pray, prayer is a practice of presence. Because when Paul says pray without ceasing, he means pray uninterruptedly. That's literally what the Greek word that without ceasing translates as, which is a much better translation, I think. It says pray uninterruptedly. Because sin does what? Interrupts. When the Bible talks about breaking fellowship, that's what it means. Sin interrupts. Sin is a speed bump that can throw us out of alignment and turn us in the wrong direction. Sin is moving away from the truth and the goodness and beautiful things that God has given the world. Sin are the things that work against the world that God is creating before our very eyes. Sin are the things that work against the purposes of heaven. Sin is not just a behavioral modification issue. Sin is a social, systemic, institutional, and individual issue. Systemic sins exist in the world because who creates systems? Everybody say people. All right, that's all I'm trying. And we, and we build systems out of our own imaginations and values. So yeah, there are systemic isms, racism, etc., in the world because that's theological. It's the reign of sin and death in the world. That should not be a question for the church. And it moves us away from the things of God. Prayer moves us closer to the presence and the purposes of God in the world. And so, you'll see here, if you um, will go to uh, maybe page three, I want to make a, a, a statement about this, and you can see if this is true in your life. But I believe if you make it a commitment to pray this prayer every day slowly, as I have done for years, if you pray this prayer every day slowly, you may not finish the prayer. Because if you say, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And you think about God as holy. And you think about all the unholy things in your life. And all the unholy things in the world. Your prayer gets shaped in a different direction now because you're speaking to God with those things. He may not ever get into your kingdom come. You may even stop there. You may say, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. God, there are so many things that are aligned with your will in my life. There are so many things that I know are not. And that's where your prayer goes. Praying this prayer as a model prayer is a way to move more deeply into prayer. With your eyes open, you're walking along the path or with your hands closed and your, your head bowed. But this prayer covers everything. The early church believed deeply this prayer covers everything that Jesus taught his disciples. So if you want to go to page four, there are six phrases found in this prayer, roughly. And remember, we talked about this prayer is not written in prose, 
This, rare, this prayer is actually written in poetry. This is poetry, this prayer. So it's important to know that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he used poetry to do it. Which I could just, I really could talk about that for 20 minutes, but I won't. Maybe in a couple of weeks. So there are three phrases, but y'all won't remember. There are three phrases. Uh, <laughs> now I'm just snarky about it. Now I'm just being petty, forgive me. Um, I'm just playing, really. There are, three there are three phrases in this prayer that have to do with, if you look at page four, that have to do with our relationship with our Father. And then there are three phrases in this prayer that have to do with our relationship with society and material things. You see that? So let's just look at that for a minute. Our Father who is in heaven, your name be honored and holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. So when you look at this prayer, you've got three things in the beginning. You've got the Father. You've got the Father's character. Your name be honored and holy. Our Father, Father, that language in and of itself speaks to God's character in heaven. You've got the second, which is the Father's kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. And then you've got the Father as provider. Give us today our daily bread. The first three phrases of this prayer really have to do with the Father. You see that? See how it works? We'll spend a little more time on each one of those this morning. But the last three, forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Like those three phrases have to do with God's uh, God's work in our lives and our relationship with others. So you have the Father's forgiveness, the Father's guidance, and the Father's protection. And we need to lean into those things and understand that this prayer covers power and possessions and material goods and money and the gripping and the grasping and the giving that we do. And so what I want to do this morning is just literally work through the Father's character. Uh, the Father's kingdom and the Father's provision. And we won't read everything because, you know, you can do that on your own. Um, but I want to I ask you, when you think about our Father in heaven, your name is honored and holy. The questions that I'm, I'm prompting you to ask is what does this phrase reveal about God's relationship with us? Now, notice that our tendency is always to ask, what does this phrase begin with our relationship with me? And I briefly hit on this last week and I got a little worked up when I did it. Um, because I think it's one thing North American Christianity misses maybe more than, well, I don't want to say more than anything because I can't back that up, but certainly misses. Our Father, everybody say our. our. If you're from the South, you say our, um, right? Which sounds also like a pirate, but that's how we talk in the South. Um, our Father, it's not my Father. Now, I've got a whole host of quotes on this sheet. There are these same exact quotes are in the Church Center app. Um, Hung, did you put the QR code up at first, bro? If you scan this QR code with your phone, these quotes are in there. I encourage you to read these quotes. They'll also be sent out through the Daily Reflection this week. If you sign up for the Daily Reflection on Church Center, you'll get those too. I'll send them there. The reason why is because I want you to see the way the early church talked about this phrase. So you know I'm just not hobby riding some. There was an understanding of the hour in this. And that it wasn't a my. Cyprian, uh, the North African church leader who wrote a big treatise on the Lord's Prayer, this is what he said. He said, before all things, the teacher of peace and master of unity, everybody say unity, unity. would not have prayer to be made singly and individually as by one who prays to pray for himself alone. For we say not, my Father, which art in heaven, 
nor give me this day my daily bread, nor does each one ask that only his debt should be forgiven him, nor does he request for himself alone that he may not be led into temptation and delivered from evil. Our prayer is public and communal, and when we pray, we pray not for one, but for the whole people, because we the whole people are one. The God of peace and the teacher of concord, who taught unity, willed that one should thus pray for all, even as he himself bore us all in one. In North American Christianity, we're the ones who privatized Christianity and made it about my personal Lord and Savior. That hurt the church. Because that is not the way an Eastern-founded religion understands the world. And in a society where we are all about my rights and my freedoms and my entitlements, where my is the favorite pronoun that is uttered through the lips of people who live on this side of the map in this nation, that hurts Christianity. Christianity would do a good job doing a really hard work of eliminating the my from our vocabulary because there's nothing about our faith that is about my. I'm included in the we. So when Alvin prays, our Father, he's including me. When Sherry prays, our Father, she's including me. And if Sherry had a problem with Jason, which they don't just for the record, but if she did, she's also including Jason. And the Holy Spirit may just meet Sherry in the our Father and remind Sherry that the ill will she holds towards Jason needs to be resolved at the Eucharist. You see what I'm saying? The hour reminds me that I am never praying alone in this world. I'm serious. When you go home today and you pray, somebody in the world who knows Jesus is praying to. There's not going to be a second of the, of the day that's not going to be prayed. Somebody's praying. And so when you pray, they pray, y'all are praying. And that's how they would say, y'all, y'all are praying. This is an hour prayer. And it's amazing how many Christians want unity. Everybody thinks unity is something we can work for. The Bible doesn't teach that unity can be worked for. The Bible teaches that unity happens when love is worked for. When love and justice, everybody say justice. Mercy, everybody say mercy. When love and justice and mercy is worked for, then unity is possible. Because if Melinda is my sister and society is pressing her down for whatever reason and I want to be unified with her, I can't look at her down there. You with me? Our calls me to her and her to me. It calls us to solidarity. And when I do the things that lift her up or she does the things that lift me up, then we have unity. Come on now. The very fact that the North American Christian church thinks unity can be worked for is more a reflection of our do-it-ourselves mentality and looking into our own resources than it is a reflection of the kingdom of God's resources. Unity happens when we love each other and we take it seriously and when we realize that loving you as I love me means I wouldn't let something happen to you that I wouldn't let happen to me. Come on now. And so when we pray, our Father, it's our Father. The church has a long history of praying our Father with its brothers and sisters who didn't look like itself and didn't do anything about having the same Father. We can't do that. This prayer was supposed to be a guardrail to that. 
So in the early church, when ethnic superiority was kicking in between Jews and Gentiles, the Our Father prayer kept the church on the road. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. There is no other love like God. There is no other love that will ever be like God because God alone is holy. There is nothing that is going to be as holy as God. Holy means set apart, but it's a relational characteristic. God is set apart to do something. We're not just set apart from, we're set apart to. Everybody say set apart from. Set apart apart to. So a lot of times when the Christian church is taught about being holy, it's usually about to stay away from things. You are holy, so be set apart from things. And we forget that we're set apart from, yes, of course, but we're set apart to something too. Right? We're not just delivered from something, we're delivered into something. We're not just liberated from something, we're liberated into something. That's why liberated is better than saved in terms of a language house, because saved doesn't capture the power of what happens in our salvation. Liberation is we're removed from something and transferred into something. We're pushed into something by God. And why? What are we pushed into? A whole other way of seeing the world. Because who is holy? The Father. And we are made holy through the blood of Christ. So if our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, then let us live into holiness. Let us love with a holy love. Let us do life with a holy vision of the world. Let us set down our idols so we can be the holy people of God. To look more like you. And and then it just makes sense that the next prayer would have to do with the Father's kingdom. Then may your kingdom come. What does that word even mean? May your reign break into my life. May the things that you are about in the world take shape into the life of your church. Does that make sense? May your kingdom come isn't meaning God show up. It really means God open my eyes to see where you are. You with me? Doesn't mean God show up. That whole language of, ooh, God showed up today. Oh, God's already here. We're the ones, whether we showed up or not. Oh, the Holy Spirit fell down on us today. No, Holy Spirit didn't trip. Holy Spirit is inside of you working. We maybe let some things go today that opened ourselves up to the Spirit's goodness. If I put $20 in your pocket, you can carry it around in your pocket, know you have it, forget you have it, still be $20 richer. It's not until you pull the $20 out and use it that you get the benefit of the $20 you've been carrying around in your pocket for the last six months. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Holy Spirit's living in us. We're walking around going, well, and then all of a sudden something happens. We open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. We go, oh, God showed up today. God's already there. May your kingdom come doesn't mean God show up. May your kingdom come means God open me up to the rain that is at work in my life so that I can see it, so I can participate in it. May your kingdom come. That's why it's followed up by this next line. May your kingdom come what? May your will be done on earth what? As it is in heaven, your will. May what you want be what I want. May what you want and what is happening in heaven happen on earth, happen in my home, happen in my life, happen in my relationships, happen in my city, happen in our schools. Got to bring prayer back in schools as if God ain't there already. Think hanging the Ten Commandments on the wall is going to somehow bring God back in schools? Come on, y'all. God's already there. He ain't gone anywhere. We're the ones who go somewhere. And we think that's going to solve the problem? 
That's, that's the gripping and the grasping. Can we just be honest? That's the gripping and the grasping. Oh, we got to elect people who are going to bring prayer. The church needs to be a people. That's how that sentence should start. The church needs to be a people that. We need to be a people that. Who know this prayer. Your will be done on earth. What you desire on earth, may it be reflective of what is happening in heaven. That's the language. So what in your life needs to reflect heaven? Come on. Like what in your life? What in the secret parts of your heart need to reflect heaven? That's how you pray the prayer. Right? Like that's how I pray the prayer. I know what ain't going to go in heaven that I'm a part of. Come on now. You know. We know that about ourselves. So may your reign come in, God. And you know why? I don't just say God. I say Father. Father, may what you desire be in my life. May it be real. And give me today. No. Give what? Us today. Our daily bread. The Father's provision. So we talked about this last week. Bread isn't literal bread. <laughs> Christoph. Yeah, I know. Bread isn't literal bread. It means the strength. Actually, in the Jewish language, it means anything that, need, that, that is, that is going to provide sustenance. So it's strength. It's wisdom. In the Jewish tradition, it also literally meant wisdom. And I wanted to make sure you knew that because I didn't type that in there. But it means wisdom. Give us today our daily bread. Give us the wisdom we need. Give us the sustenance we need. So what do you need from God today? What does the church need from God today? And think about this. If we prayed the hour, then you can segue into the me. But please start with the hour because the church needs the church to pray for the church. Come on, y'all with me? I didn't, get, I didn't get quite the amen that I thought I would get. We always thought, like, the church needs to pray for the church. All these prayer gatherings that happen in cities that pray for the nation and all that stuff, need to, they, they need to start, like, we need to pray for the church. The church needs to get together and repent. The church needs to get together and pray about us, for us, so that we will be the witness that we're supposed to be in the nation in which we live, so that we will look like the colony of heaven in the midst of Rome. So that we will look like the people we proclaim to be. So that we will look like a chosen descendancy, a royal priesthood. Y'all can go now. Keep going. A holy nation, a people for his possession to proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Thank you, right? Praise the Lord for that. That's what we should pray. So all these prayer gatherings, all we need to pray for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> So that we can be the people we're supposed to be and do the work in the places in which we live that then change the place in which we live. Remember the Jeremiah 29 mandate. You pray for the welfare of the city and its success is going to hinge upon your faithfulness. So we need to pray for our faithfulness and pray then for the welfare of the city. Our Father who is in heaven your name be honored and holy as holy. May your kingdom come and break into my life. May your will be done what you want on earth, in my life too, as it already is in heaven. And give us today. And that's why the prayer comes, because I said those first three lines, those first two line, phrases are big phrases, aren't they? 
Our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, those are big, big requests. Which it makes sense then that Jesus would teach us the very next thing we need to pray then is give us what we need. <laughs> like, like if that's going to happen, if you're actually going to start breaking into my life, come on now, stay with me. If you're going to start breaking into my life and reveal the things in my life that are not in an alignment with heaven, then I'm going to need some bread. You with me? By the way, I was thinking about bread as sustenance. Y'all remember like back in like, well, I don't know how long ago. It was when I was younger too, but probably like 60s, 70s, when money was called bread. Yeah, y'all remember like, see, that's the matter. That's the matter. I just wanted to make that connection so you could make that. Give me some bread. Y'all give, give the Lord your bread and offerings later on. That'll make, we should change the series, a view of bread, power, and possessions. If we're going to ask for the kingdom of God to break into our lives, if we're going to ask for God to change us from the inside out so that what God desires and what is happening in heaven breaks into our now, into our moment, where the move of God breaks into the moment, we're going to need some daily bread. We're going to need wisdom. We're going to need strength. We're going to need courage. We're going to need faith. We're going to need stronger legs and a stronger back and stronger arms and more faithful hands and more faithful feet and open eyes and open ears and a full heart and a renewed mind. And that is why I encourage you to pray this prayer. So do not let this prayer be some rote habit blown by prayer. When you pray this prayer, sit on each phrase. Our Father who is in heaven, your name be honored and holy. And maybe even repeat, our Father. And then start thinking of your brothers and sisters in this place right here. Maybe even ask the Lord, Lord, give me strength to see the person that I don't like who I know is your child. Come on now. Let me see. Let me see. Our Father, and then speak to Father as Father. Speak to our Father as if our Father is your Father because He's your Father too in the hour. But start with the hour. And then move through. May your kingdom come. May what you desire in my community, in my home, in my workplace, in my church family, among your people, in my nation, may what you desire actually break in. So that what is happening on heaven, heaven, what is happening in heaven, where there are no mass shootings in heaven. Come on now. There are no mass shootings in heaven. There is no racial injustice in heaven. There's no anti-Semitism in heaven. There's no demeaning and degrading of genders in heaven. There's no devaluing of neighbors in heaven. There's no violence in heaven. May what you want in heaven be revealed on earth. See, some of y'all ask me, why, why, why do I believe these things? Because, I, I, because the Bible tells us what's in heaven. And the Bible mostly tells us what isn't in heaven. And so if I see on earth what, I, what the Bible says isn't in heaven, then why am I going to be complicit to the things on earth that I know is not going to be in heaven? What do I just say? Well, that's just the way the world's going to be. Is that what Jesus prays? Did Jesus say, our Father in heaven, your name be honored and holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but since I know it's not really going to happen anyway, don't really worry about asking me to do anything about it? That's really not how the prayer works. 
It assumes that the people who pray this know they have the power of God within them. And know that there is no authority we don't already possess by the Spirit of God who lives in us. So do not settle. Do not settle for the world as it is. Pray the Lord's Prayer and ask the Lord to put your hands and feet to this prayer. Put our hands and feet to this prayer. Because the Lord would never settle. Praise man could come on up. The Lord would never, ever settle. The Lord would never settle because the Lord gave us all that we needed. Because the Lord is more than able. The Lord is not settling. Let us not settle. And let us have the Lord's prayer as a prayer that leads us into the conviction that we should not settle. We ought not settle. Because we don't have to settle. And let us come to the table of the Lord and remember that if the Lord is willing to give us all that is needed for life and godliness, then we need to just simply learn how to open our lives up to receive it. So beloved, pray the Lord's Prayer. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.